The biggest thing you gave me was time. I've always been a proponent of do the job, do it well. When you're a family, everyone in the family has to be treated with respect. Coach Wooden, it always started with uh, relationships. It always started with coaching people's hearts. I want to know who you really are, right? You can put whatever you want on paper, but that that doesn't really matter. His teachers, they meet the learner wherever he is. They don't care what you know. <laughs> they won't. Until they know how much you care. When I talk to leaders, Right, and I hear their stories and I hear them respond to the, the questions. It's the same answers, but it's told in a very different way. And 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 I think that, you know, for I appreciate you for, for jumping on with us. Uh, but what I like to do rather than go through your bio, rather than me talk about what we've read, I like to allow you to share your story. So take us through your story from being a former football player at Walford to now being uh, one of the, uh, not if not one of the youngest athletic director in, in FBS, and then also have an opportunity to be the first African-American vice president, director of athletics at Toledo. Yeah, it's funny because I, I didn't know I was the youngest FBS AD in the country. Um, and I didn't even know I was the first black AD in Toledo's history. And all those things, you do the press conference and all these people keep pointing out these factors, um, which, which it's an honor, it's humbling. Um, and not things I pay attention to, I am focused on doing the best job I can, so I won't be last, right? In <laughs> <laughs> either one of those ways, but making sure that's the case. I um, I grew up in a small town in South Carolina, a town of about 5,000 people. I grew up 30 minutes outside that town in the cotton fields, the soybean fields, my tractors. Um, and so come a long way from getting there and working in different cities to be in Toledo, Ohio. Um, but I, I love football my entire life. Um, you asked me what I wanted to be when I was a little kid. It was a football player. I wanted to be a football player. I had my, my Chicago Bears professional sports outfit on, Dolphins, whatever it was, um, growing up. And then I uh, played four sports in, in high school and got a chance to play football at Wofford College. Um, and Wofford is a small private liberal arts um, university. And at some points, I, I felt like maybe I didn't even fit in um, to, to a campus like a Wofford because um, you got very – um, affluent um, undergrad population in some pockets and very big uh, fraternity sorority scene for certain elements of, of what they do in their houses. Um, and then you got the football players or the basketball players. Um, but that 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 team not only gave me a sense of community and ownership, um, it also tested me in ways I'd never been tested in my life. Um, it taught me lessons that I never would have thought I would have learned in a classroom setting or anything like that regarding perseverance through adversity and some other things. Um, so I'm so incredibly grateful for that experience. And so I got from there and went to law school in South Carolina, but I knew I wanted to try to combine that law degree with something sports related. I just didn't know what, and I didn't know if I was getting an agent or working in the NFL or what it may be. And I was in a class one day and they talked about ADs and they talked about a handful of them having law degrees. The light bulb went off and was like, boom, that's what I want to do. And I've been on that trip ever since. That was my second year of law school. Ever since that, I've been working towards that goal um, and finally got here. So really blessed to, to be in the industry where I get to give back and hopefully give young people at minimum, the same quality experience I had, but hopefully way better, and hopefully way better in a lot of ways and building off of that um, and being somebody they can lean on, um, being somebody coaches um, can lean on, because I, I view my, myself as a servant leader that, and I, I realize that's becomes a little bit of a buzzword, but I need to get the best out of everybody around me. I'm gonna allow everybody to be their best version of themselves. If I do that, I think that's where true happiness comes from. So that's my drive.
Right. And that's, that's big. You say servant leader. And, and it's it's kind of funny that, you know, in this world that we live in and then you you break it down into the, the athletic world that we live in, you and I, that we operate in daily. It's not that right. It's not about service. It's about you kiss my ring. Mm-hmm. Right. But but, you know, there are some people out there and I, I applaud you for being one who understand that it's about serving the student athletes. It's about serving the coaches. And then, you know, the crazy thing that I learned once I was uh, working as a defensive coordinator and I heard one of the guys on our staff do an interview and, and he said, they, I think they questioned him as to, you know, what is his role in the, within the staff? And he said, it's to make coach Malone be the best defensive coordinator that he can by serving coach Malone. Well, when I saw that, I thought, man, that, that's what I, I'm trying to serve him, you know? And so, it's him serving me. It's me serving him. It's us both serving the players. And it's when when you have such a relationship with the players, coaches always say they'll run through a wall for you. And they will if they think you'll run through a wall for them. So it's like a triangle of service, as I like to call it, is that we're all servicing. We're all serving each other as we roll. Um, so let's let's talk about uh, what ADs do, uh, not all that they do, but a big thing that they do in terms of uh, choosing people to be on on their bus. You know, I read a lot of books and I read a lot of leadership books and uh, there's uh, books and they, they refer to hiring people as as who you're choosing to be on your bus. So so when you think about your bus, what are some things that you look for when you're hiring people uh, staff members to to uh, jump into uh, the vision uh, and the course that you're taking as an athletic director. Yeah, I, I mean, I think hiring is the most important thing I do by far. It's not even close. Um, I, I've told our staff a number of times is people, it's culture, strategy, it's resources. But if you take care of the people part, 99% of everything works really, really well. Um, and so when I have a hire to make or I'm searching for something, one, I try to recruit really, really heavy. Um, and I pour everything in. I drop just about everything else on my plate um, to pour into that. And so I, I've got a pretty specific formula um, that I've created over the years of how I make hires. Um, it, it starts with laying out what you think you need and what the organization needs at that time. Um, and, and so different organizations need different things and different leaders at different positions at different times. And, I, and what I found in these searches, particularly if you get in the coaching search, um, if you enter that equation without knowing what you're looking for, You'll have everybody and their brother calling your phone telling you they got the next great Bear Bryant on the line um, and they're ready to come to Toledo or Rice or wherever it may be to be your your, your tennis coach, swim coach, football coach, whatever it may be. Um, and you get distracted by the shiny things and the shiny logos and, and those kind of things are who's hot for that that season. And you don't really end up with what you actually needed at that place and, and then the fits off. And so I start with that profile of laying out, hey, these are the factors somewhere between five to ten that I know I need in this next position, whether it be me hiring a deputy AD or me hiring a coach, these are the things I need. Um, and then I try to recruit like heck to go find the right person. I'm gonna call everybody on the sun that I've ever crossed paths with. I've got a decent um, network and I try to use that network less for getting jobs. I've never tried to use it to get jobs. It's been more about how can I hire people or when I don't know something, how can I lean on them? I'm leaning on that network. And then I kind of evaluate those people kind of in, in a three-step process. Um, one, what have you done, right? What it kind of look at on paper, whether it be your head coach and it's the wins and losses, or maybe your coordinator and it's your offensive stats, your defensive stats, or the success you've been a part of, 
who have you recruited? What have you what, what have you done throughout your career? I mean, what have you accomplished? Number two, kind of step below that. What do people say about you? Um, and again, that goes back to that network. I want to call everybody from the receptionist to the janitor to the academic advisor, the compliance person, the development officer in the department to your AD to figure out what kind of person are you when you have a flat tire in the office in, on the way to the office. You don't get your coffee that morning. How do you treat people? I don't want to see what you've been just on the interview. I don't want to call just the people you say and give you good reference. I want to call everybody. And I'm going to call and I'm going to keep calling. And I'm going to get at least about 10 people um, to say the same thing. And if, and if somebody, to your earlier point we were talking, if somebody goes away from that and said, actually, they're not this, or actually, I saw this, then I got to dig a little bit deeper to make sure I feel good about you. Because again, hiring is the most important thing I do. I can't get this wrong. Um, so I got to make sure I, I look through everything. And that's number two. Um, and then third, and least important, but certainly part of the equation is the interview. Um, I believe, can we click? Can I see you sitting in a home articulating yourself? Can I see you sitting in for a booster group or whatever context of, of that position? Can I see you right. in my SLT leadership room? Um, what are you? Because I think anybody can be anybody for a 30-minute or hour interview. I've seen great actors in right. that space and put on a fabulous show. And then day-to-day, -day, they can't connect with people or they can't leave um, units or, or they don't know what they're talking about in certain areas. So I, I put that together working with a ton of great leaders that I've been around. And each one of them has kind of poured into me and give me parts and I've created my own uh, matrix and I've tested it a couple of times and I think I've been pretty good uh, with, with pulling those together. So that's kind of how I, from a profile to recruitment to evaluating in that three-step process, how I do it. Big time, big time. I, I've never heard it put that way. And uh, that goes into the into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so really, you know, that, what, that, that response that you made, um, it really gave me another question, right? It, it gave me another question that I, if I gave you, if I gave you a magic wand and you know the state of athletics and you know what the numbers are in terms of minority hiring, in terms of the lack of diversity uh, in college sports, in the leadership, if you had a magic wand, how would you, how would you help our world our world of college athletics and even into the NFL, how would you help this world uh, even out the numbers, uh, uh, solve this problem of diversity that we have? Yeah, that has to be one heck of a magic wand because uh, it, it, it's a, a really complex issue um, that I'm not sure anybody's come up with a, a great solution or answer to. She got all these complicated factors, whether it be the different leagues, or how they come up or, or what they do. Um, but the problem needs to be fixed, right? And I think some of it is how we evaluate or how we think who can do what job um, versus all the different things we're told who can do. So like you gotta have the look of this type of head coach. You gotta have this particular background and leadership's leadership. And, and I wanna say, I think sometimes in our industry, we're getting to the point where we realize, hey, I need a leader in this spot. I need somebody that can lead and has the, the, the intangibles, but also the people skills and relationships to be able to propel this organization or this team forward, not I need to check the box that they're this, they're that. And right. I think over time what you've seen is you've seen a number of different type of backgrounds um, get to certain chairs and then people say, wow, I didn't realize you could do it from that. And I think in the NFL, you're starting to see some, some different categories of people other than just coordinators. I think even in the college game, um, you're seeing individuals that have been right up the road or, or, or in the Midwest. I'm not on Washington. I look at somebody like a P.J. Fleck or even like a Dabo that were never a coordinator that were um, position coaches that made that jump. So, so, okay, we can check that box that you don't have to be a coordinator to 
to get this type of opportunity. Now we got to say you don't have to be a coordinator, and you also don't have to be a certain race um, right. to get an opportunity. We still got some work to do there. Right. Um, so hope is we're moving towards that. At the same time, we got to give people opportunity to succeed, and we can't hold them to a different standard than others. And I feel like so often, um, if you're a person of color, sometimes you're held to that higher standard. And if you mess up, see, I told you they, they couldn't quite do it. Um, and I'm not sure if you really look at the numbers. So, I mean, to get the opportunity for Zavian Bell, it's no different than anybody else. It's just that you may be judged differently. Right. Uh, so I think if we could equal out how those individuals are evaluated when they get those roles and how they're evaluated as candidates, they're really looking for the best candidate, not the person that fits the quote unquote mold. Because some of that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Um, we could go way down the line and start talking about from Pop Warner to who gets to play quarterback and on up and how some of this kind of fulfills itself. Right. Um, I think that's a much deeper conversation. Um, but I think there's certain things that we've just adopted as, okay, that's true. You, you got to be offensive coordinator to, to be a head coach, or you got to – I mean, I, I don't know. I'm partial. I play defense. Um, I think defensive coaches are pretty doggone good. I think defense is a big part of the game. Um, so this idea that you, you, you ignore that side of the ball for another side of the ball because that's the head coach quality, I, that didn't quite add up to me. And, and so and I think you're seeing that. Um, around the country that a lot of defensive coordinators have been passed over for years. And some of them are finally getting an opportunity. People are like, wow, they're right. really talented. We, we looked over a whole side of the talent pool because we dug so deep on the offensive side of the ball. And I think the same in terms of ADs. I think you're seeing some ADs get some opportunities now. And maybe they come up through fundraising. Or maybe they came through other aspects of the department like myself. Um, and people say, wow, we, we maybe overlook that type of individual. They can't follow, I use, my guy Eric Wood down at Lottec. Um, E. Wood's been put, going after this thing for a really long time. Finally gets opportunity. People are like, wow, he's really impressive. Well, yeah, a lot of us that knew he would knew he was really impressive, uh, and he should have gotten the opportunity earlier. But now he's got his opportunity. I think he's opening some eyes and hopefully opening some doors for future generations. Right, and and you know, I, I always you always say that that there is strength in diversity, right? When you when when you only see things through one set of lenses, you only look one direction, right? I think you're really minimizing yourself right you, you're minimizing the organization when you know you have older more seasoned coaches you have younger coaches you have coaches from one area or another you have offensive you have defensive coaches the different perspectives uh there's, there's strength in that and i think that it you know from from your seat uh you said it earlier that hiring is very important and so when when you when you are or doing it, you have to be diligent. You have to be intentional because it's really easy to get into the situation because boosters want the coach. They want them right now. Recruits want a coach. They want them right now. The press wants the coach. They want them right now. And all of a sudden you see that shiny object and you jump on it. And is that the question is, was, was that the choice you should have made? So and that's easy, right? That's easy to, to, to gravitate towards what's easiest. Right, right, right. I think that's somehow, sometimes how we get into these problems because you rely too much on the interview. You sit across from the table from a person that's just like you, and okay, it's easy. I, I feel people say, "Oh, that felt like a fit" because I clicked with them. Well, no, you clicked with them sometimes because they're just like you, and then they reflect something that you like. And to your point, you got to be diligent and surround yourself by people different than you. I mean, right. I've got my core values, and I live by them on a daily basis. And I want people that align with those core values, but I also want a different perspective um, right. from experience, age, race, whatever it may be to add that equation that makes us a stronger team. Right, 100%. So you talked earlier about some of the leaders who have, have poured into you. Who are those people? Who Give me two of them. And, and what is it 
that that this best leader in your in your world what is this best leader taught you yeah i probably start with my mom um my mom was a, a educator and she was ultimately a middle school principal she was my middle school principal um and and so that meant i spent a lot of times at that middle school after hours summer she worked every sunday um after church she would go to church we get a food and then she was at the office for four or five hours so I, I not only learned work ethic and what that looks like, um, but she also ran a pace that elevated that entire school because everybody knew Miss Blair was working X hours this hard. So you start seeing other people say, wow, we need to work hard. We need to reach. I thought she could be, uh, what's the right way to put it? She held people accountable. At the same time, she had already built such a deep relationship with them that it never fractured the, the long-term relationship. They knew it was coming out of a place of love and care. And I watched her do that from time and time again, where everybody in the school seemed like they loved her. But then she was also able to have a hard conversation to hold somebody accountable. And she, she's a little lady, um, short, and, but always people respect yeah. her. And they right. knew you don't mess with Miss Blair. Um, but she cared about people. She loved people hard. Um, and she went out of her way to make things happen for people that otherwise wouldn't. And so watching her, as a black female in the South, be a middle school principal, there's a respect she commanded throughout the community, not only from her work ethic, she worked harder than anybody else around her, even though she was the principal, um, but she also was able to hold people to a high standard and motivate them to reach higher, and, and but also have that relationship with them. And those are things that I hope one day that, that people see in me, um, that not only did he bust his tail and work really, really hard, um, but he loved really, really hard too, but he also wasn't afraid to hold somebody accountable um, to try to elevate it for the greater good. So we, we serve our students the right way. Um, I, and I'll get in trouble if I go too far around college athletics, outline and mentor. So I'll just say my last one, um, or la last two are both at Washington State. Um, president Kirk Schultz, uh, who was at K-State um, before he came out to Washington State, one of the best presidents I feel like in college athletics. Um, somebody that pulled me aside at a tennis match said, hey, let's find some time to sit down together. And then we would meet on a regular basis and have conversations about what he's going through as a college president and what I can learn from it as somebody that aspires to be an AD. He didn't have to pour into me and he poured into me continually, has always reached out and supporting. He always texts me, he and his wife to check in on me. So he's somebody that I have a ton of respect for. Um, he led and he had a humility and a sense of humor that kept moments light, even when you felt like the world was crashing down around you. And he had this ability to keep everybody else calm and cool and collected. Um, and then Pat Chun um, and watching him with his relationships, his network and how he navigated that nationally to elevate the platform for Washington State, but also lean on a ton of individuals when we did need answers to questions or we did need experts at the table um, or we did need to do a reference check on somebody. His network and how he used that network to make him a better athletic administrator taught me a lot about how I need to do the same with mine. Um, so all three very different people from very, very different segments, um, but all three taught me a ton um, about trying to be a leader and serve people. Wow. Hmm. Again, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame answer <laughs> right there. Um, so the last, man, the last three years have, have stretched us all. And, you know, the leaders that I talk to, I'm always interested to know how have the last three years affected them? Because in, like you talked about uh, with, with your leaders, the, the, the tough times, that's when the leader is tested because not everybody wants to stand up at that mic. Everybody wants to stand up when, when they present the national championship trophy, right? But no, not many people want to stand up 
uh, when when it's the rough time. Here at K-State, as assistant head coach, I get an opportunity to speak to the team quite a bit. And there have been times after a tough loss that Coach Kleiman will allow me to speak to the team. And, uh, you know, as a coach, you're like, no, I don't want to speak at this moment. You know, I want to speak when we're jumping and, and, and going crazy after a great victory. But what I learned is, you know what? That moment, that moment to be able to speak to the team when nobody wants to talk, to be able to speak to the team when those words, they better be right. You know what I mean? And, and so there's, there's a great learning in that moment. Um, what has this time, the last couple of years I'm talking, what has this time done for your leadership? How have you grown as a leader, you know, with COVID, with the social justice issues that, that, we're, that we are continually dealing with? What, is those, what have those things done to help you be a better leader? Yeah, I, mean, I think if you look back at my entire career, I've run towards uncomfortable. I mean, that's something that's always been in me. I, I, I viewed myself as a lifelong underdog. Um, somebody that's had to punch above their weight and grind really, really hard to get to where I want to get. People, most people don't know half the stories, um, and whether it be me sleeping in my office or doing some other stuff to get to where I got to and taking sacrifices, even financial, especially early in my career, um, to get to where I get to. But it's always been about running towards the uncomfortable, not not staying somewhere just because everything's easy, right? I, when I went back to South Carolina from Rice and I got the call to go back to Rice. Um, Rice is a place that's in Houston, Texas, Texas, but it's certainly from an academic standpoint and from a resource, um, some of those type of things, they have some challenges you have to work through. You have to be really creative um, to be successful there. And then to go out to Washington State, probably the hardest power five job in the country, one of, um, and you have to do things a little bit different. You have to think harder. You have to lean on people better. Um, you have to be more efficient with your money. Um, and so running towards the uncomfortable, been a theme towards my life and I, I've always liked doing that because I think ultimately if I can do it at, at hard places when I get to a place that's a little bit easier I'll do a heck of a lot more with the resources I have at that place than I ever would I'm um, at a hard place I think if you can do it when it's hard you know when I got a little bit more money I got a little more visibility or a big city whatever it may be I can maximize that even more and so that's been my theory of my entire career so I've sought out um jobs that quote unquote people call hard um and so when the last three years happened, hey, you're right. I mean, a lot of people, they, they want to go in the hole. I, I don't want to speak up now. I don't want to do the hard, make the hard decisions. Um, but frankly, I, I just, I feel like I'm built for it. Um, those are the moments that I look to to step up and say, hey, this is how I can help people. This is how I can help those others around me. Um, and so when we had um, a young man pass away at Rice um, and we had to talk to the staff and be there, I felt like, okay, I can be a common voice and a common influence. Um, in this situation and help those around me get the help that they need. And so I stepped up and I think people around me saw me um, step up in that moment and later thank me or whatever it may be. Um, and the same in the last couple of years, right? I mean, you talk about social justice. I mean, we had done some things from a diversity and inclusion standpoint from the time I got there that laid a foundation. So when that moment hit, we weren't starting from scratch. Right. We had relationships. We had a Black Student Athlete Association. We had taken kids to different events around the country. So we had, we had started this conversation two years before that happened which made our ability and for me to pull my AD at the time and help lead some of those conversations a little bit easier um, than maybe they were other places. The same with COVID. I mean, that was hard on everybody. Um, and then I think the West Coast was different because I'm on the West Coast and I've called my parents back in South Carolina and our experiences during that pandemic were just different. Uh, wow. yeah, but I think those are the moments when leadership matters the most. 
Um, when everybody around you needs help, people are searching for answers. They're searching for what to do. That's your time to serve, not be the front runner, not be there. That In my mind, in those moments, you need to be elevating the people around you and pushing them up to the front to take vote and celebrate that accomplishment or celebrate whatever it was at time. When it gets hard, that, that's what you get paid for. That's why you got put in that position. And if you shy away from that, then you're doing nobody, uh, you're doing everybody around you a disservice. Um, so I look at it, you run towards the uncomfortable. When that fire is burning, you want to be a firefighter, right? To run towards it. You want to be the person running out of the house. Right. Which, again, that, that's leadership. You said it earlier, that, that's leadership. And that's what leaders do. Leaders are, they're out front. Um, so you, as a former football player, you understand. You understand what happens on Saturdays. You know, you understand uh, what those feelings are like. You understand when you run out of that tunnel, when you're, when you're out there and that whistle goes off, you understand that uh, as a coach, right? For me, uh, yes, I played, but, but for me, game day is different, right? Game day for me is, yeah, of course, what goes on on Saturdays, but game day for me is, is on the field or off the field. When I got a young man, he's just not getting it, man. He just not, he's not understanding how important this academic uh, quest he's on, how that parallels his academic life. He doesn't understand that. And so game day for me is, is when that dude gets it. Yeah, there's some cover three things and some man-to-man technique when they get that. I love that too. But for me, it's that moment when a guy understands how important this is, this whole thing is. And I have some players like that, and it just it gives me great pride because I remember when he was a knucklehead, you know, but now I see him, he's a leader and he talks to the younger guys about how important so-and-so is and how he has, we got to make sure we're taking care of our business here and make sure we're doing this. The question I have for you is in your seat, what is, what's, what's game day for you today? Yeah, that's a fascinating question, right? Because, I just started my first football season as an AD and hey, you go from being a deputy AD to AD and, and it looks a little different. Um, the demands on me, like we, we go over, we do a meeting every uh, Thursday to go over my game day schedule. You kind of walk through who's where and what's where. I mean, I've, I'm scripted out probably four hours before game time and I'm every 15, 30 minutes, we're on the move to something else and there's no breaks um, going there. So by the end of it, I feel like I play a football game sometimes. Um, but I, I think for me, I try to make sure I'm on the field for the first quarter. Um, and that's for no other reason that makes me happy. Um, that, that, that watching that team run out the tunnel and feeling the energy at kickoff, like it gives me goosebumps and brings a tear to my eye all at the same time. Cause I miss it so much. And I try to talk to our guys nonstop. They're probably tired of me. <laughs> like, when that's over, there's no recapturing that. You you can be a coach, you can be an AD, you can be whatever you want to. There's no recapturing that experience, that experience being in that locker room pregame, that experience living in the dorm rooms with your teammates and saying the same crazy jokes or telling the same stories. Like my guys that were in my wedding, we still do those same kind of things with my teammates. Um, so I try to spend that first quarter, at least the first um, drive or at least first drive or two on down on the field just because I want to take that in. That, that's that's my protected time to nobody like that. You can try to talk to me. I'm locked in. Like, I may yeah. not get to watch the rest of the game, but I'm locked in on this. And then from there, uh, we've got people in my suite, and I want to go to the president's suite, and there's different people I need to check in on to make sure that, one, we have the support and resources we need to continue to improve that experience for those student-athletes. And the monitor 
the game day crowd and the concession lines and everything to make sure they feel that support in the stands. Um, that's my role is, is to make sure that environment is one that we're doing the absolute best we can to give these student athletes the best experience, both in that stadium and outside that stadium. And that, that's fan experience, that's fundraising, all those things we do from a revenue generating standpoint, or if I can be the mouthpiece for this university, whether it be a halftime interview um, and some other iterations, I'm gonna try to get that out mm-hmm. and brag on our young men, brag on this program, brand on this great city because Toledo is impressive and it's even better than I thought it was coming into it. Um, this city has got so much positivity going on. This university has got so much capabilities. Uh, we got to start telling our story. And that's my piece. Um, right. Tell our story so we can have more success. And again, dive back in and put more resources into that student athlete experience. Right. Great. So my final question, and this is always a cool one. Sometimes it's, sometimes it like throws people off, but um, the, the question I have is, is if you could talk to your younger self, right? Knowing the things that you know today, right? The experiences you had, the ups and the downs, um, the sacrifices you've made. What would you tell your younger self to help that young dude out, right? What would you tell him uh, to to help him be better that you know now? Yeah, some of it I'm still not good at. I, <laughs> I think take a deep breath and look around you and soak it in. Um, I, I've been somebody, I've been so driven my entire life, and frankly, I still am, um, driven to always be better. I don't appreciate what I've already accomplished or what my team around me has accomplished. Um, and that can lead to a certain level of unhappiness, right? Um, that I, I'm always, I call it pissed off for greatness. Um, I, I get upset if everything's not perfect. And I'm like, dang. I gave that speech, everybody's like, oh, great speech. That right. wasn't my best. Right, and the right. fact that you think that's my best makes me angry. Because right. I know I got in the tank. And yeah. I, I had my uh my football coach, uh, my D-line coach at, at my last game. We played Garden Web. Um, and we won the game and I had a couple sacks. It was a good game for me. He's like, Brian, he came up to me, put his arm around, gave me a hug. He said, Brian, you've done more with what God gave you than any player I ever had. No comment in the history of my life made me angrier. Um, <laughs> I, said, I said, Coach, you don't even know. I should have been all American. I, I got way more in the tank than what I've you're seeing right now. If I had to play that one game in my freshman year, I would redshirt and I would have had a fifth year. And I was, I still, it still bothers me. He said that because um, he was saying it from the kindness of heart. He just, good job. You, you get yeah, a lot yeah, out of right. it. Um, I took it as he doesn't even know how far I can go. Um, right. So that, that, that being angry and wanting to be perfect and wanting to strive for greater is probably something that's allowed me to sin quickly. Um, but it's also something that, that leaves me sometimes unfulfilled. Uh, we win a game and I got this pit in my stomach. Okay. We could have done better at this or, that firework didn't go off the right way, or we, we didn't have this many fans. We got to have way more. Um, so trying to find that, that blend of looking around and taking time to soak it in. And Hey, you're, you, you set out to be a division one AD, you're division one AD. Your, your family gets to share this with you. You got two beautiful kids and a beautiful wife, like soak it in. Um, but at the same time, I'm so driven. I want next. I want more. I want better. I want this place to be rocking and rolling and be the best it can be. Um, and, and I've got to calm it down a little bit. I, my, my mentor, you talked about mentors earlier, Pat Chun shot me a text the other day. I'm um, just say, hey, just soak it in. You, you've done a lot. You've accomplished a lot. He, he could sense the unhappiness in my voice because um, I just, I want it to be perfect and I want it to be perfect right now. And that, that drive sometimes is my greatest gift and curse. Right, right. Well, man, listen, I, I, I definitely get it, right, as a coach. And, and, you know, sometimes I have to, I have to push myself to make sure, you know, when you're a coach, you watch the film, give me that cut up. Give me that clip. 
I got to show them this. They messed this up. They got to be better right here. And so sometimes I have to make sure I tell myself, nope, that was a good job. Take that one too. Well, I don't have time to tell. No, no, take that one too. Because you spend a lot of time, we spend a lot of time correcting. We spend a lot of time, like you said, pushing and driving. Well, sometimes we got to look at what, what was good, you know what I mean? And appreciate that. For sure, we got to be better, but we got to appreciate it. You know what? But our personalities, very hard to do that. You know what I mean? And, and like you said, you didn't get you didn't get to the place that you have by slowing down. And sometimes you're going to you, you may take vacation. Right. When you take a vacation, take a vacation. Right. Uh, <laughs> when you're off, be off. I tell my wife this sometimes. I say, you know what? This summer, I'm turning my phone off in July. I never turn it off. I say that all the time, right? Every every June, I say that. I don't turn it off because I'm thinking about August. You know what I mean? I'm in June and July, and I'm thinking about August and thinking about September. And, and we can't be as successful as we have been. We can't ascend to the heights that we have if you don't have that drive. But you do. Like you said, you, you, uh, you, you, you sense in yourself the unfulfillment, right? And, and you know, that's the quest is we got a, a lot of people in, in our world, they lose families, they lose all kinds of things, but they get the ring, you know what I mean? But they get the trophy, man, the trophy not, it's not, it's not worth that, right? And then so, um, so, so I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to me. <laughs> I mean, but I, I think there is this idea that they, they call it, a, I found out they call it a rival fallacy, right? And if I get to this spot or I get to this chair, this location, this position, that everything will be great and I'll be happier. If I make this much money, I'll be, and, and that's not true, right? I, I think happiness comes from serving other people and right. making them happy. And so right. I can be happy by if you're successful or the, whoever's successful, okay, that, that, that makes me happy. Um, and I've tried to impress that upon others and then really a younger me, right? It just because you're a division one AD doesn't mean I'm, okay, everything's easy now. In fact, everything's hard. Right. <laughs> and the right. pressure and the time right. and everything else is harder you got to dig deeper you got to have people and loved ones around you right help you through those moments so it, it's a i'm still on that journey i'm still trying to grow yeah well i, I you know to that point and i'm gonna let you go but um i've talked i was talking to another one of our coaches about you talk about helping others and and we talked about you know um people who you know there's some people who have tons of money Right. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of things, but they've never experienced helping someone. Right. I'm talking directly helping someone where they they extend their hand and help them. Not not write a check. Right. Not not, you know, give some money, but where they help somebody uh, and and that they see the fruit of that, you know. Yeah, you write a check, you see a building that you, your name is on because you gave some money. No, I don't mean that. I mean helping someone change a flat, you know, who who couldn't who couldn't do it. Or, you know, you're in the line at the grocery store and you see somebody, they they're not gonna be able to pay for this food, right? They the credit card didn't work. And now you're able to step in and help them. Yeah. Right. And and so just to see that there, there are a lot of people in this world that, that they don't get a chance to experience that. To me, you said it earlier, man, that's the greatest. That's the greatest gift. You know what I mean? That's to be able to do that. And we get to do it with young people all the time. We don't see the fruit. 
right? The fruit comes 20 years later when uh, Gary Oubre calls me and tells me about his family, you know, tells me about the job he just got, right? When, when, I, was, when I was digging that dirt on the Gary Oubre tree, oh, <laughs> oh, I just thought it never happened, you know? And so, uh, big time. Man, I, I, I really enjoyed this moment with you. 